What notion alliances? Some people call them cartels. Are they? Not really. But what are they then? Hi, welcome to By Land and By Sea, an attorney breaking down the weekend supply chain presented by the Maritime Professor. That's me. I'm Lauren Vegan, founder of the Maritime Professor and Squall Strategies, and I'm your favorite maritime attorney. Join me every week as we walk through both ocean transport and surface transport topics in the wild world of supply chain. As always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes, it should not be construed to be legal advice and there is no attorney-client privilege created by this video. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. So before we get into the discussion of the day, let's go through my top three stories of the week. <laughs> so story number one, the Department of Justice released a press release this week, just yesterday, titled Global Shipping Container Suppliers, China International Marine Containers, and Maersk Container Industry abandoned merger after Justice Department investigation. So the proposed tran transaction would have combined two of the world's four suppliers of insulated container boxes and refrigerated shipping containers, as the DOJ reported um, in their press release. It would have consolidated control over 90% of the insulator container box and refrigerated cargo container production. So those are the reefer containers, insulated containers and refrigerated shipping containers. So the reefer boxes, um, those are the temperature control boxes. Um, so worldwide in Chinese state-owned or state-controlled entities. So American consumers, this is a quote from the Assistant Attorney General, Jonathan Cantor of the Department of Justice Antitrust Division. He said, quote, American consumers depend on the global cold supply chain for many of our everyday essentials. CIMC, one of the one of the companies, acquisition of MCI, the Maersk company, threatened to harm this critical aspect of our economy, leading to higher prices, lower quality and less resiliency in global supply chains. It would have cemented CIMC's dominant position in an already consolidated industry and eliminated MCI as an innovative, independent competitor. The deal would also have substantially increased the risk of coordination among the remaining suppliers in the marketplace, most of whom would have been aligned through common ownership and related alliances. He's basically saying, we don't want to over, over, um, we don't want this market to be, uh, overly combined here. We don't want to make sure, we want to make sure that we, we create uh, fair competition in this world of, of the refrigerated cargo containers. So, um, the DOJ, the antitrust division and Germany's, um, Bundeskartellmann, um, which is the Bundeskartell, it's, it's the, the government entity that reviews cartels, um, kind of the antitrust division, uh, cooperated. They had their own investigations, but then they actually cooperated during the course of those investigations here together. Um, there's been a lot of discussion over ocean alliances being cartels. Um, and I wanted to highlight this story because the DOJ does go after cartels. When there's a cartel, they go after cartels or 
the appearance of or the 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 promise of or it looks like it was going to be moving toward cartel world um, where there's too much of a concentration. Sorry, that was the word I was looking for earlier. Too much of a concentration in the market from one company. And so that's what was going to happen here. It looked like there were only four companies that have these um, these regulated re or these reefer containers. But now two of those companies were going to combine. And that was just too much for the DOJ. Um, like they said, this would have created 90% in just this one um, collaboration. We've talked about this before, and this is why I actually wanted to cover Ocean Alliances today as our 101. Um, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, the U.S., uh, the U.S. Department of Justice, and the Federal Maritime Commission all said that in with respect to ocean carriers, they found a competitive environment. And there was a lot of pushback for them finding this competitive environment. But all three, FTC, DOJ, and FMC, all said that they've found a competitive environment for ocean carriers and ocean shipping. Remember, that's not saying that they haven't found bad acting. It's just saying that the alliances are competing against each other. And as we're going to talk about, I agree with them. I think that the alliances are competing against each other because collectively they may make up 80%, but they are competing with each other. There's three alliances out there. This is not the same as this this uh, reefer container and, and refrigerated cargo containers. This is not the same situation. So alliances are kind of what was trying to be formed here, but that one alliance would have taken over 90% market share. The alliances that we know on the ocean side of things only take up about 20% or so, 25, sometimes 30%. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but that's why I want to cover ocean alliances. But I wanted to highlight this story to let you know that cartels are also are, are still being uh, uh, challenged and are still being investigated and DOJ is still doing their job, even if you don't agree with them finding that there isn't uh, co competition on the ocean side, they're still going after the, the reefer cargo and they're still out there doing their job. So story number two, last week we talked about the FMC's request for comment regarding a potential emergency order that they had been given the authority through OSRA to implement. So remember, the FMC said that if they issue this emergency order, common carriers and MTOs, marine terminal operators, would be required to share directly with relevant shippers, rail carriers, and motor carriers information relating to cargo throughput and availability. Well, we're already seeing the comments roll in. We saw them roll in quite a bit last week. This week, we, we now have, we're now up to 13 comments. Um, and remember, comments are ultimately due by September 14th. As of last week, we had seen 12 comments. So we've actually only seen one new comment in uh, the last week. Um, but last week, we talked about one notable commenter, the Association of Bi-State Motor Carriers. Remember, we spoke about them a few weeks ago. Uh, when the FMC chairman, Dan Maffei, took a ride up to the port of New York, New Jersey, after the Association of Bi-State Motor, Bi Motor Carriers wrote him a letter raising concerns about equipment availability and D&D charges. Um, this is when Chairman Maffei basically said, not only does he not want you to pay for bogus detention, but he says you should probably get reimbursed for having to keep empties that you can't return because ultimately this is a burden on you. He said, he wanted to ensure that carriers do not receive involuntarily subsidized storage for empty containers that belong to them. If it can be shown that a shipper or a trucker is not allowed to return a container, then not only should they not be charged per diem, but the carrier should compensate that trucker for the space it takes up. Such a great quote out of Chairman FM, FMC Chairman Dan Maffei. Well, in the past week, like I said, they've only posted one new comment filed. Um, that was on August 19th. So maybe more have come in this past week, but haven't actually been posted on the docket. I'm going to keep watching this. Look, 
if it's it's still true, I said this last week, everyone that has filed a comment, including the new one, um, has either been in favor or strongly in favor. Most comments are actually strongly in favor of the issuance of the emergency order. Uh, we have just over two weeks left. Look, I wonder how many comments this docket's going to receive. I, it was so interesting to see so many filed right off the bat. Um, not surprised that we didn't have many on the second week. Like I said, maybe that's just a backlog. Maybe there actually are more. They just haven't posted. Um, but if you want to follow along with me, the FMC maintains a list of all of the documents related to this docket, and they're in docket 22-19. Um, go have a look. Go check it out. It's in the e-reading room. So story number three. <clears throat> story number three is actually more of an absence of a story, but I want to let you know that I'm still watching. So this week, the FMC did not release any new rulemakings. Remember, we're still on the lookout for the OSRA directed, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 22, the, the law that was passed by Congress and signed by the president June 16th. They, they, that law directed rulemakings that were required to be initiated, that the FMC was required to initiate rulemakings. Now, I had originally read that language that it was the, 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 rulemaking should be released. But FMC Chairman Maffei clarified at the last commission meeting that he reads initiate meaning just starting the process, not necessarily releasing the language of the rulemaking. So the rules that we're waiting on is within 30 days, the FMC was required to initiate a rulemaking on unreasonable refusal to deal with respect to vessel space. So that needed to be initiated by July 16th. Uh, we have a 45-day requirement of initiation. So that was a detention and demerge prohibitive practices rulemaking, which was required to be initiated early August. And then we had a 60-day rulemaking, which was on unfair or unjust discriminatory methods. And this was required to be initiated by August 16th as, um, as part of the 60-day. Um, so you know what? With no new news stories for story number three, I'll just say, did you know that By Land and By Sea is now a podcast? You can listen to all of my episodes on demand. Did you catch the episode where I talk about all of the Osra rulemakings in detail? These three that we're watching, I talk about them in detail. Did you want to learn more about ocean alliances versus airline alliances? Today, we're going to do a little one-on-one on ocean alliances. But did you know I compare them to airline alliances and why we kind of widely accept airline alliances, but don't as widely accept ocean alliances? Did you want to learn more about the West Coast Port Workers Labor Negotiations, the International Longshore Warehouse Union and the Pacific Maritime Association? I dove into the history of the relationship and explain a few of the negotiations through the years. Look, go check it out by Landed by Sea, an attorney breaking down the week in supply chain presented by the Maritime Professor, available wherever you get your podcasts. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of the day. We don't have any new rulemakings out of the FMC this week. Like I mentioned, I only say that because we are on rulemaking watch for these three OSRA required rulemakings, just like I mentioned. So just like last week, I thought we'd do another 101. This week is a 101 on ocean alliances. Being that August is traditionally a vacation month, I had intended to keep this whole month full of topics that were relatively streamlined, the episodes shorter, here we are at the end of August. We're only on week two of these shorter episodes. We'll probably do one more week going up to Labor Day of the shorter episodes and brief 101s. But then we'll be back in action after Labor Day with, with longer, uh, more in-depth, uh, detailed looks. But uh, so here we go. Well, let's jump into it. What are alliances anyways? You know, we've, we've talked about ocean alliances. And so we, we, I'm going to break it down today on what they all are. But what is an ocean alliance and who's in what? So ocean alliances, they're essentially vessel pooling arrangements to oversimplify it. Uh, one of the general purpose statements taken from one of the agreements has the purpose of to authorize the parties to share vessels with one another 
to charter and exchange space on one another's vessels, and to enter into cooperative working agreements and connections with the parties, services, and operations in the trade. And this is important. I highlight this. This is from one of the agreements, one of the filed ocean alliance agreements, not the ocean alliance necessarily, but one of the ocean alliance agreements. They do this in order to improve efficiency, minimize costs, and provide high quality services to the shipping public. So what does that mean? What are they? What are these alliances? Vessel sharing agreements, the pooling of ships. For a long time, the industry didn't make any money. And I, I talked about that before. It's hard to believe with the billions of dollars being made these days. But in 08, 09, 2010, they were lucky to be out of the red. So these companies started looking at vessel sharing space to help streamline cargo movement. So in describing what they are, sometimes it's helpful to actually describe what they are not. So what are they not? They are not rate setting clubs. They are not conferences, though conferences was the previous structure of the shipping industry. So in 1998, a major overhaul of deregulation happened. Uh, we've talked about that on another episode. It's the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 1998. I dive into it. It was the precursor, basically. It was it was the um, Ocean Shipping Reform Act that was modifying the Shipping Act um, that, that all ocean transit for the U.S. Um, is regulated under the Shipping Act. 1998, there was a major overhaul that kind of deregulated the industry. We talked about it a little more, but one of the, um, one of the, the uh, things that happened from 1998, ASRA, was that conferences went away. Um, conferences were essentially membership clubs. You had to pay dues and the conferences set the rates. Um, so conferences were kind of the, these, these clubs, um, but they set the rates. We don't have those anymore. So let's get back over to alliances. So how many alliances are there and who's where? That, I think that's the most important because you're going to be a little familiar, hopefully, with some of these names. Um, so it's important to kind of know where they all shake out. So there's only three alliances, but there are three alliances. And while their membership has shifted a little in the past few years, their creation has really kind of stayed put in their uh, in their alliance groupings. They've kind of taken on some new names, but the current state of all the alliances are, we have three different alliances. We have the Ocean Alliance, which has Costco, which includes OOCL. We have CMA, CGM, and we have Evergreen Line in the Ocean Alliance. We have another alliance. The second alliance is the 2M Alliance. So in the 2M Alliance, we have Maersk and MSC. And in the third alliance, and they're not necessarily in any particular order here, but the third alliance is the Alliance. So T-H-E Alliance. Um, the, the high efficiency alliance is how I've heard it sometimes called as well, but it's the alliance, which is Hapag Lloyd, one, Ocean Network Express, Hyundai Merchant Marine, and Yang Ming. So how did these alliances get filed with the FMC? How do they even start? Because they have to file with the FMC. These are agreements. And so these agreements have to be filed with the FMC. So Ocean Alliances enjoy a limited antitrust immunity. Um, so this is, they file with the FMC for that limited antitrust immunity. Uh, for ocean carriers by filing an application with the FMC and allowing 45 days to pass. That's it, just 45 days. So they file their application. The FMC has 45 days to look it over, to ask questions. So the FMC does not actually have the authority to deny these applications. And they are approved, but the FMC doesn't actually approve them. They are technically approved or, or, or um, not stopped, I should say, by just simply the 45-day time period passing. So in that, th in that time, the FMC can ask questions that will toll or stop the clock. So that 45 days, those will stop if the FMC has questions. But they cannot indefinitely stop the clock, amounting to a denial. So, so how does the FMC kind of stop this? 
the FMC is required to bring a suit against the Alliance application with proof of why it should not be allowed. That's that's basically the, their mechanism for denying an application. And all that has to happen within 45 days of filing. Like, that's a big ask of a small agency with only 120 full-time employees. And like I said, I've said this many times, not only are those 120 employees all attorneys, they have usual offices. They have IT, managing director, just like any other federal agency. Um, you know, they, they have economists as well. They, they actually have um, quite a few economists, almost as many economists as attorneys. Um, but just like any federal agency, they, they have all the, the supporting offices as well. So it's, my point being, not all 120 employees are working on um, any agreements that come in. Quite a few are, but not all are working on it at the same time. And the FMC has a lot going on. Imagine if an alliance, a new alliance, were to be submitted right now. They're, they're up to their eyeballs in rulemakings anyways, and now they would have to, only 45 days to review a new alliance agreement uh, filing. So I, I hope Congress takes note of this. I hope that they see that there's no denial mechanism Um I think it's important for the FMC to be able to deny, because what if, like we saw with DOJ, what if somebody files something that says, well, you know, all of us want to just get rid of any of these alliance, these ocean alliance agreements that we currently have, and we now just want to take over 90% of the industry. Um, the FMC should have the authority to say, oh, but, but, uh, uh, no, I don't think so. So do they have terms of expiration? So, okay, so, so now that the agreement has gone into effect, it's been 45 days, are there expirations to these agreements? So in general, they're not required to have an expiration date um, or even a reapplication of their agreement date. Those are the two suggestions that I would make on if we are going to be modifying or somehow fixing up uh, the FMC's authority re regarding the alliance agreements. I would also suggest that we have a reapplication or a renewal or a potential expiration date requirement because the ones that we have, the three uh, um, alliance agreements or the, the three ocean alliances that we have on the books right now have expiration dates to them, but they, they're not necessarily required to. Um, so don't be confused here. They're still subject to stringent monitoring. They just don't need to reapply after a certain number of years. What if things have changed and the FMC, you know, they can still monitor, but wouldn't it be nice to have these periodic check-in moments? Um, the, the Ocean Alliance agreement expiration. So in the Ocean Alliance, they have a preliminary 10-year term where nobody was actually allowed to leave the alliance. And then after March 2027, originally this was five years, but was amended to reflect 10 years, a party could leave as long as they gave 12 months notice. Then after 2027, if nobody left, then the term was extended indefinitely with the 12 months notice to leave still in play. Uh, the 2M Alliance has an expiration as well. 2M has a 10-year term of the agreement with a two years notice for leaving the agreement, but they can't submit that before eight years have passed. So you're, they kind of wanted to, to, to try out these, um, these experimental creations at the time. So they wanted to make sure that people were bought into it and stuck around. Um, and then the third one, the Alliance, um, also has an expiration. It's a 13-year term. Uh, with a right to withdraw on a 12-month notice, but not before the initial period, which was April 1st of 2030. So initially, a few of these had five-year terms, but those were later amended to at least 10-year terms. These expiration notices also have provisions for insolvency, bankruptcy, material change in company status, etc. So that's basically it. Like I said, it was just a quick kit of a day, a brief one-on-one kind of day today. Uh, keep an eye out for my e-learning classes. They're almost ready. I anticipate a late September release. So keep an eye out on the pre-sale in early September. Uh, we will likely dive a little deeper into this and many other 101 topics. 
As always, the guidance here is general for educational purposes. It should not be construed to be legal advice directly related to your matter. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. But if you have specific legal questions, feel free to reach out to me at my legal company, Squall Strategies. Otherwise, for the non-legal e-learning and general industry information and insights, come find me at The Maritime Professor. If you like these videos, let me know. Comment, like, and share. If you want to listen to these episodes on demand or if you missed any previous episodes, go check out my podcast by Land and by Sea wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you prefer to see the video, they live on my YouTube page by Land and by Sea presented by The Maritime Professor. And while you're at it, make sure to check out our website, maritimeprofessor.com. So until next week, this is Lauren Began, The Maritime Professor, and you've just listened to By Land and By Sea. See you next time.